Welcome to the Northern Australia Food Futures Conference podcast. The Biennial Conference is Australia's leading event on agricultural development in the North, an area covering over half of Australia's landmass, but housing just 5% of the national population. In this podcast series, we sit down with a range of guests to explore the 2023 conference theme, Northern Myths, Realities and Opportunities and provide a preview of the discussions that will take place at the event, which attracts over 600 national and international delegates. Tickets to the conference, held in Darwin, May 22 to 25, are available at foodfuturesntfarmers.org.au. We look forward to seeing you there. G'day everyone, my name's Paul Burke. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Northern Territory Farmers Association. I've been up here in the Territory now for about five years, uh, five wonderful years. I really love the Territory. I love Northern Australia. And so what does your role with NT Farmers involve? It's a really diverse role. It's a really exciting role. And I guess I came into the industry at a really neat time when development was very much on the agenda of both the Federal Government and the Northern Territory Government. So over the last four years, we've really focused a lot of our efforts and energies on creating development pathways to to build the industry. We've got a a really strong ambition to grow the industry here in the Northern Territory to a billion dollars. But I guess more broadly, we've started to branch out right across the north. We've got projects running in Queensland, Western Australia and the Northern Territory. So for for us as an organisation, I think it's been a pivotal time and we can see the development opportunity right in front of us and it's becoming a reality and, and what we're seeing at the moment is a real investment and a real drive from growers to develop industries like cotton but we're also seeing further expansion in some of our existing industries like mangoes and melons. Melons is, is on an exponential growth path so so that's all been really exciting. In terms of my role, we when I started at NT Farmers there was you know five staff, a couple of those were part-time. We've grown to 16 staff in locations from Mareeba right across to Catherine, um, up in the Territory, and, and our team's really mobile. So for me, just managing the day-to-day operations is a really big part of what I do and ensuring that we are being representative of what our membership wants. So a lot of the time I'm spending talking to growers and understanding what their problems are and then trying to convert that in to government speak and government language so we actually get some some traction and, and get the outcomes that we're really looking for. So your role would require you to have a finger on the pulse of the food and fibre industries across Northern Australia. Can you provide an overview for our listeners of what they are? So principally our, our largest commodity and, and has been for, for a long time is the mango industry. Even within the mango industry, that's diversified. So we've got Calypso, we've got Honey Gold, we've got KPs, we've got some new emerging brands, the Lady Grace, the Lady Jane. So, so it's quite a diverse industry within itself. Then we've got the melon industry and the melon industry started about four or five years ago around 40 million. That's going to probably top out at 100 million over the next couple of years. So there's been tremendous growth in that sector. I think the forestry industry is at a really exciting point at the moment. Our, our long-term average is about $115 million a year for the forestry industry. We're, we're exporting chips at the moment off the Tiwis. We've got both sandalwood and African mahogany soon to reach production. So we're at a really pivotal point there. And then some of our other industries that, that are really exciting, the fodder industry 
contributes a significant amount and supports the cattle industry, which is our, our largest commodity here in the Northern Territory. And then, you know, the emergence of the cotton industry. So this year we'll be up around 15,000 hectares of cotton, which is really exciting. So we started four years ago at 40 hectares on Tipperary Station. And now we're, we've got 14 or 15 growers now up at around 15,000 hectares. So that's really exciting. We've got other emerging industries. A, a lot of our Asian veg growers are really pushing the okra, pushing the Asian greens. So we are quite diverse across a, a fairly broad portfolio of uh, produce. We're going to have a conversation now about myths, realities and opportunities in Northern Australia, which is the theme for the 2023 Northern Food Futures Conference. Before we get into that chat, can you tell me about the conference? Yeah, sure. So the Food Futures Conference was born out of a white paper that was written for the development of North Australia. The federal government back about a decade ago really saw that we talked about the development of North Australia for, for such a long period of time and, and really it had been in a state of hiatus. There'd been no development or real development. So how do we actually do that? And what we did with the Food Futures Conference was gave a platform for industry to talk to government about how we can actually drive that change. And I think there's been some really big successes out of uh, Food Futures and it has driven the conversation at a, at a really high level and ensured that growers have a voice back to it, to decision makers in Canberra. And if we think about our decision makers in Canberra, there are only 13 seats of parliament north of the Tropic of Capricorn. So we are a really small voice, so we need to be united. So hence Food Futures brought the three states that have northern jurisdictions together to try and form one voice. All right. So as I just said, this year's theme is northern myths, realities and opportunities. So let's start off with myths. What myths did you think existed before you came to the north or perhaps before you even came back to the agriculture industry when you were still working in hospitality? I think uh, a lot of Australia doesn't understand North Australia and geographically we are quite isolated, but I think as a, a grouping of people, we're also very different. We are far more inclined to pick up the phone and have a conversation or sit on the back of the ute and have a yarn than we are to sit in a formal boardroom to have a meeting. And and that was a really big learning for me, that it, there was a lot more around people-to-people contact than what you experience in southern states. I guess the other component is because we are so so small in number of people, the access to leaders, so when we have visiting politicians or visiting industry leaders, we actually get one-on-one time with those people where if you're in southern Queensland or New South Wales or Victoria, there's such a competition to actually get in front of those decision makers, whereas we are at a distinct advantage where we can talk one-on-one when they come to town because there's, there's not many of us. So I think that's been a really valuable learning for me that that don't write a letter every day like a, a lot of organisations do. Actually get in front of people and show them what we're about and try and get them on the ground because once we get them on the ground and we get their boots dirty, the conversation changes. One of, one of, one of the real learnings for me, and, and the last 12 months has really solidified this, that, you know, we're going to be the food bowl of Asia. And, you know, we, when we unpack that a little bit, nothing really happened. I guess that was said about 10 years ago and that there really wasn't a pathway to be able to achieve that. Now we've got an export facility both here in the Northern Territory, in North Queensland. 
we actually do have access to be able to send uh, produce north. And, and we've seen pumpkins, melons and mangoes go out on scale um, in the last 12 months and that will only grow. So I think we've proven to ourselves that we can do it. Um, we've still got challenges in, in that space. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not stepping away from that. But the fact that we are, you know, half a day from having produce um, in, in a cold store in Singapore and then another half a day on the shelf, we can get some really fresh produce into really large markets. And and we, we saw that with mangoes this year, mangoes going to Korea, you know, leaving here at, at midday um, and being on the shelf the following day at midday. Now, we can't even do that to Melbourne and Sydney. So we are really well geographically placed. It's a little bit around mindset, um, and I think COVID probably played a role in um, um, elevating food security through a lot of regions. And so I think a lot of other countries are looking at, well, where's our fresh, fresh produce going to come from? And I think Australia has an amazing reputation as being um, both safe food but also a really secure supply chain. And I think that secure supply chain has been underestimated over a very long period of time. So I think that the statement around we're going to be the food bowl of Asia um, still may be a little bit premature, but I think we're taking some really good steps to delivering into Asia and, and proving ourselves by starting small and growing big. So do you think, I guess, with what everyone has been saying for many years, they've been talking about it at scale. Do you think when it's finally realised and complete, we'll be operating at that scale or do we need to be more of a, a, a dessert bowl rather than a salad bowl, like a, sm- <laughs> a physically smaller bowl? It's <laughs> a really good analogy. I think for certain products, it will grow exponentially. And I think mangoes, melons, pumpkins, um, potentially some some of the, the high value Asian vegetables in, into Asia will, will certainly be a reality. I think as the cotton industry starts to emerge, and, and, and I know we're talking about a food bowl here, but people that are sitting at the food bowl have got to be clothed. So I think cotton's one that we will see um, exported out of the Northern Territory in, into Asia and potentially into places like India, Bangladesh, Indonesia, um, for for production. So I, I think we will see a large portion of what we do produce end up in, in those markets, but we will still be very heavily reliant on the domestic market. The domestic market for things like mangoes is a very profitable market certain times of the year. The other challenge I think we will face is that year-round production. So it's it's easy to produce in the middle of the year, in the dry season, very hard to produce in the wet season. And I think that's where cotton's quite exciting. It's one of the few crops that we do plant in the middle of the wet season or or soon as the monsoonal troughs start to come in, we're out there planting. So where it used to be farmers wound down at Christmas and waited for it to to dry up a bit, farmers are out there all year round now in the north and, and that's really exciting development. And from a workforce point of view, that has some massive advantages. Speaking of cotton, would you like to make comment on some of the myths surrounding cotton, noting that this could be an episode entirely on its own, so we'll just keep it short and sweet? (laughs) I think I've spoken so much about cotton over the last three or four years. And I I guess the biggest myth for me is around the water usage and the fact that that cotton is a very heavy water user. In, In our example, it's not. We're growing through what's called a rain fed or, or dry land cropping 
um, production system. So we're, we're relying on, on the weather. So we're planting the first monsoonal event this year was around the 21st of December. So it was a bit earlier than, than previous years. We started planting and, and we're relying on the rain. So we're out there doing a rain dance every day and we're not using any irrigation water. Now that doesn't mean in the future we won't have an irrigated cot- cotton industry as well, but at the moment it's about 95% rain fed. So using no irrigation water and 5% irrigated. Now that will probably come back to 90, 10, 85, 15 over the next decade, but we'll have to see as the industry develops. I guess the challenge will be is what we planned in rotation with cotton, which will probably have to be irrigated because once we harvest that cotton May, June, there is no rain till October. So, so whatever we plant after cotton will most probably need to be irrigated. So moving on to realities now, what are some of the realities that industry or anybody wanting to be involved up north needs to face when we're looking at growing our food and fibre industries and developing the north? So I think the the biggest reality, and and we can't step away from it, is workforce. And it's not just the agriculture sector in North Australia, it's it's right across the board. Um, Doctors, nurses, school teachers, taxi drivers. um, At the moment in the Northern Territory, I was driving to work this morning, there was 156 buses cancelled today through lack of drivers. So we are in a really competitive market for workforce. So we need to work more creatively to attract a workforce and retain a workforce. I don't think in our wildest dreams, we're going to fill that workforce from Australian workers. We had a large focus on an ag visa that w- would have delivered some significant benefits for the North. Now, that's not a reality under this current government. So what are those things that we can do to provide a stable workforce, but also a skilled and returning workforce? And some of the opportunities I see in that space are places like Timor-Leste that's really on our doorstep. It's quicker for us to get to Timor-Leste by plane than it is to Alice Springs. So that gives you some context of how far away it is. Currently, a return ticket to Timor-Leste is $600. So maybe the discussion needs to come, how do we have a fly-in, fly-out workforce similar to other industries where we're bringing workers in, working for six or eight weeks and going home for two or three weeks and visiting their family, spending their money, enjoying their life and then coming back and working again. So we get the same workers coming back time and time again. So the skills are built up, the productivity raises. So they're the questions that we need to work through. And I think the only way we can do that is through all levels of government and an industry working together to try and deliver those meaningful changes in workforce that are going to deliver a stable um, amount of pickers, amount of packers, um, pruners, what, whatever those roles are for the day-to-day operation. But more so, it's also the skilled workforce. It's terribly hard to attract a skilled workforce to North Australia. It's, it's really competitive and it is a challenging environment. It's hot. There is no stepping around it. You know, you step out of the shower of, this, of a morning and, and you're sweating before you get your clothes on. That's just a reality of being up here. So I, I think once people experience the North, though, it gets in your blood. The wide open spaces, the beautiful environment, the access to fishing and camping and, and just the liveliness and, and living in Darwin. And Darwin's a festival of market town. There's something on every single you know, every single weekend that you can go out and enjoy. So I think once you're here, it's a really awesome place. And and the other experience that I think is really valuable for people considering the North, one of the challenges I had was I sat down with my wife when we were talking about coming 
to the Northern Territory and, and my wife was really worried about schools and, and the level of education. We have an 11-year-old daughter and I've got to say, the quality of education has been phenomenal. The class sizes, the extracurricular activities and, and just that whole lifestyle that I grew up with where you come home, you dump your school bag, you jump the back fence and you're gone for, for, for two or three hours until dark and then you're back inside. That's the reality of the Northern Territory and, and that's real. Sounds like you just busted a myth. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> what about some of the other realities? I think some of the realities are more more broadly right across North Australia that's completely underdeveloped. You know, back to the Northern Territory, which is where I am and I have the most expertise, 99.4% of the vegetation is remnant. So that means it's had no intensive agriculture. Now that is such a small amount. So I think the the myth that, that agriculture is going to take over vast tracts of land. It's just just not realistic. We don't have the available suitable soils and the available water for that to happen. So I think what we'll see is a mosaic development of smaller developments right across the north, and I think that's a really healthy place to be for the environment, but also f- for us to grow sustainably and also for us to develop a workforce and develop the skills we need to take us to the next level, to take us to a billion dollars by 2030, to take us to a couple of billion dollars by 2040. I mean, I think they're they're the questions we need to answer. I think some of the other really big challenges, and we've seen um, in Western Australia over the last um, couple of months, the the delicacy of of our infrastructure. Um, And if we look at the Fitzroy and and the road infrastructure there, and and my heart goes out to the people over there, it's such a devastating um, event. And and now to have the isolation and, you know, the lack of food and the lack of resources to be able to to come into communities, it's all being flown in at the moment or it's doing a 6,000 extra trip around from Perth. And I know many people that went to Perth for for Christmas and are still making the way back through Adelaide and up through the centre. So it just goes to show the challenges of having such a vast road network in very isolated places. And when we talk about workforce shortages, just to have the, the, the human resources to be able to repair those roads and travel those roads daily to, to do those inspections, I hate to think how long it's going to take to to get us connected back to the north through the Fitzroy, it could be, you know, over a year, may even be longer. I think what we need to do in these spaces, though, is really think logically about that investment in repairing those roads and, and ensuring that, that they do withstand the one in 100 year events and, and they are dual carriageways and they are large enough, not single file bridges. I mean, a lot of people in Australia wouldn't realise a lot of our main roads up here have single file bridges. So I think, you know, that, that, that real that is a reality that that we have hundreds of thousands of kilometres of road. Um, we have a, a, a finite budget, so how do we prioritise that? And I think that's where government needs to play a, a really big role in the future. If we're going to develop the north, we need to develop that infrastructure and make sure that we're all connected as best we can be. Some of the other really really important points that, and I think they're learnings over since the nineteen eighties. So we. If, if we cast our mind back a little bit to, to 1980, there wasn't a mango industry in the Northern Territory. By about 1985, there were probably 100 people growing mangoes on a small scale. That has now grown to, we've got a couple of the largest mango farms in Australia, and I think that goes to 
the ethos of how we need to develop in the north. So don't start with grandiose projects that are that, that are massive in scale. Start at a smaller scale and and grow big over time. That way you you limit your risk. So instead of having fifty million dollars invested, you've got five million dollars invested, and you can recover from you know those shocks in that process and also learn throughout that process. So I think that's starting small and growing big is really, really valuable lesson for North Australia and one that I think we should stick to. So there's obviously a wealth of opportunity up here. And I suppose some people may think if an industry is already developed down south, they can just come up and put it up here ready to go. But you're saying we need to start small and grow. Yeah, certainly my honest belief and and Ian Baker, who actually founded Food Futures and and previous CEO at NT Farmers, that was always his ethos was, was, Let's start smaller, let's learn the mistakes and let's build to scale over a period of time. And I think that still bodes well for what we're talking about. And if we look at some of the developments that haven't gone ahead in the Northern Territory of recent times or North Australia, you look at Sun Cable um, is a really good example where you know a $30 billion project that we're going to send solar power to Singapore. Now that sounds really exciting but the technology had never been proven. So I think, you know, if we had started smaller, we looked at some domestic markets, prove up the concept, and then move on to that big ticket item at the end. And I guess the other one, and it's from an agriculture point of view, was Project Sea Dragon, the largest prawn farm in the world. Maybe it didn't need to be the largest prawn farm in the world on day one, but maybe it could have been in 20 years. And I think they're all important learnings. And I think from a... A, a capital point of view, I think a lot of large capital providers always look and think, mm, an, an investment in North Australia that scale straight up, it's hard to raise finance. So, you know, start a little bit smaller, raise your capital, get your concept sorted, and then move move to scaling. I suppose that speaks to the other realities that you've mentioned in that even if an industry is developed elsewhere in the world and you think, okay, we can just come and replicate that up north, we do have the realities of distance, workforce, infrastructure, logistics, seasons, all these other things that are going to throw curveballs at people. Yeah, and, and there are some some more hidden realities as well. So land tenure plays a big part in development in North Australia and, and dual ownership with Aboriginal people. And, and I think that's an area that, that we do need to spend some more time on and work out some pathways that everyone benefits. So in these developments, native title holders do have some some rights and some responsibilities in that process. So that's very different to freehold land in the eastern seaboard and southern states. So land tenure does play a role in our development aspirations, but so do logistics. And if you look at where development's happening at the moment, Douglas Daly, a good example where very poor infrastructure, no power, limited telecommunications, limited accommodation for any workers. So so all of these things do create barriers, but they're not insurmountable. And I think federal government could play a really big role in accelerated depreciation on on-farm accommodation, for example. So encouraging um, and incentivising farmers to build decent accommodation, which will help them attract workers. So I think all of these things will be played out over the next three to five years. And I, I think it's that close for North Australia. We, we are on the cusp of seeing that development become a reality. 
but we still have a long way to go in terms of workforce logistics and supply chain and accessibility. All right, we'll move on to the last section now, which is opportunities. And again, this could be a whole podcast series in and of itself because the opportunities in Northern Australia are endless, even though there are a few myths and realities to consider. What are the main opportunities that you see? Before we even get to the agriculture sector, I think it's worth noting that if you want to get ahead in your career, it doesn't matter what you do, whether you're a scientist, um, whether you're a policy writer, whether you're a policeman, a nurse, if you come to the Northern Territory, your career gets accelerated. You find yourself doing far greater range of things than you do down south, and that's just because we don't have as many people. So as a young person, look north and, and seize that moment. Get your experience up at an earlier age, which will set you up for your career in the future. And, and I think that is an awesome opportunity for North Australia more broadly than just agriculture. But I think from an agricultural perspective, where, where a lot of the opportunity sits, is land still relatively cheap? I know we look at the big pastoral properties that sell and we think those mind-blowing figures, but they are vast tracts of land. So if you actually look at the per hectare cost, it, it's actually very low compared compared to, to a lot of other places. Um, you know, I've, I've got a property in or recently sold a property in um, Tully, North Queensland. You know, the blocks there range from, you know, five to $8,000 a hectare. Um, now, that's not something that we would ever consider up here. We're talking, you know, three to $500 a hectare in a lot of cases, even even less in some parts. So, so land's still affordable. What the challenge for us is, is those blocks are so large. So how do we create some smaller blocks that people can get in and start? And I think that's part of the conversation with precincts that the Northern Territory Government's working through at the moment. I think some of the other opportunities that that I see are certainly the cotton industry. I, I think the cotton industry is here to stay. That opportunity goes to a lot of the communities as well, though. So, so how do we engage all of the Northern Territory to create benefit for everyone. And I think that's that's the next step. So we're at almost at scale now. So how, how do we actually take it to the next level? So I think that will be really exciting. I think some of the other opportunities are around food processing. And, you know, we, we've had a few forays into food processing. We, we've had a few abattoirs here over the years that, you know, haven't necessarily worked out. We've, we've still got a couple of small laboratories across the north, but I think that food processing and, and value adding is really exciting. And if we look at our availability for gas, our availability for solar and, and production of electricity, we should be a very competitive market if we're looking at solar and gas on our doorstep. So I think there's some opportunity around production and further production and, and you know, that could be in the form of cotton mill that sits next to the cotton gin. So take the, the transport out, add in cheap electricity, add in cheap gas. So that does create opportunity. And I think the, the last area where opportunity really exists, in, in my view, is is into that Asian market. And, and we've proven this year with mangoes on scale that, that we can do it and the prices are there. So that market you know, Singapore alone is five times the size of Australian market. So such a small country, how, how do we capitalise on that? And that's where some of those opportunities are. And I think 
as the industry grows and stabilises across a lot of areas, I think we'll see people starting to work into those markets a lot more. Probably the biggest opportunity is developing something from scratch. So, so when we talked about 99.4% remnant vegetation, if we step that back a little bit and go, what does that actually mean? What it means is we've got a blank canvas. So we can actually get the environmental regulations right from the start, the water licensing right from the start, so we don't create environmental disasters that we have seen in other regions and, and, and other countries. We can build at scale, but if we don't get the regulation right, then we we look to make the same mistakes everywhere else does. So let's not do that. Let's sit down and have a long-term plan that, that allows for agricultural development but protects the environment and protects the lifestyle that every Territorian really wants. I have to agree. I think that is the greatest opportunity to be able to learn off experiences from around the country and around the world. And like you said, we'll be able to create sustainable, responsible development in Northern Australia. I think that's that. That's the key word is responsible, responsible agricultural development. And I've got to, got to say, Steph, that you and I are probably luckier than most people in Australia where I've sat on the back of the ute, I've had a beer and I've watched the sunset over the savannah country. I've sat next to, to Billabong, seen the crocodiles of an afternoon and all the birds coming in and I've been in central Australia and seen the clouds of budgerigars coming across the, the, the landscape. And that's why we live in the Northern Territory and I think every single farmer um, has that responsibility and has that passion about the environment they live in. And I've always thought that it's unfair to tarnish agriculture as being environmental vandals when every single farmer I've ever met loves his land, loves his country, and actually does a hell of a lot more than most people think in in weed management, in pest control, in just looking after that environment, ensuring erosion's not occurring. They are amazing um, uh, people that look after vast tracts of land, and, and we should be celebrating that because – no other industry actually has that affinity to land that the farmers do. I think Northern Australia is in a really unique position to be the last to be developed because you can only do the best you can at the time with the knowledge you have. And if we look back historically, it's quite easy to say, look at how they messed it up in other parts of the world or the country, but they didn't have access to the technology that we have today. We can read the landscape, we can there's just so many more things we can do. So people were doing the best they knew how at the time. And we can look back now and it wasn't some, there were some not great decisions, but we can take all of that into account. So we're best placed out of everyone to do this right. And I think if you look back, you know, over the, if we step back a hundred years where governments of the day and, and, you know, I'm not casting assertions back on, on, on previous um, generations, but there were, there were development milestones where people were, you know, told they had to clear X amount of country every single year. Now, that's that makes no sense to anyone now, and, and we don't ever want to go back to those days. What we actually want to do is is look at it from a, a bioregional point of view and what can we best deliver in a region that has the minimum impact on the environment. I mean, we've got to accept that with every development there is some environmental risk and there's some environmental degradation that that's a given but how do we minimize that and how do we make sure that across the 
the, the whole bioregion, that it doesn't impact on native species, on people's quality of life, and, and most importantly, the environment. Because, you know, I, I for one want to leave that to my daughter in as good a condition as I found it. All right. So for all our listeners, watch this space. Watch it's going this to be an space. exciting one. Absolutely. And and I urge you to get along to, to Food Futures. It is the largest ag event in North Australia. And, and this is where we have these conversations. And, and you know, my, my mother and father always said to me, those that are at the table make the decisions. So if you want to, unless you're sitting at the table, you're not there to be part of the decision-making process. And I think that's really important. So before I let you go today, I've got three questions to finish up with. The first one is, what is something about being involved in Northern Australia in any industry that you didn't expect? Um, in terms uh, of a pleasant surprise, not an yeah, unpleasant yeah, yeah, no, surprise. I understand that completely. I think it's the people. Um, the, the most – one of the things when I, I left – hospitality and tourism to go back into agriculture and I was based in Townsville working through north northern Queensland predominantly. A lot of my mates said, oh, you'll find it really hard. People are really closed out in the bush. I haven't found that at all. I think, you know, people are really open and really want to have a conversation and, and, and that's been the thing that, that's driven me is is the people that, that I ultimately work for. I mean, I work for the farmers and I know – farmers that just ring me up and, and, and have a chat. I mean, not many farmers ring up and say, oh, gee, you did a really good job on that. Um, they'll generally ring up and say, oh, geez, I wish you'd done this. But I think that openness and the genuineness of people, you know, they are salt of the earth, but they are really genuine people. And, and, and I've loved being involved with the community in North Australia. What's the most important lesson that you've learnt? Sunblock. And take plenty of water. Whenever you go on the road, take plenty of water. I've had an experience where I was travelling back from Cape York into the Gulf and um, I watched the storm coming across the horizon as I was driving through one of the back tracks and um, I thought to myself, I'm going to be in a bit of trouble here if I don't get through the back end of this track in the next hour. By the time I reached the last crossing, it was running at a metre and by the time I turned the car around and, and got back, the, ro- the creek behind me had come up as well. So I spent two and a half days um, stuck out in the scrub. So um, take plenty of water um, and expect the unexpected. And what's one piece of advice you'd give to anyone looking at coming up to the north either to work or to invest or or bring a food and fibre business up here? Come with an open mind, get involved in the community, be part of the community, be part of what we are, which is one really big family, but also try and understand all of the different nuances in North Australia. We have a large Aboriginal population that has a significant amount to give. We have a massive Asian population in in North Australia. So it is a really diverse community. So get involved, join the local cricket club, join the local footy club or, you know, whatever your hobby is, get involved, but but be present. Um, You come here for a reason and, and it can be isolating. So when things don't go your way, you've got a really strong network around you and people will only be too happy to share their experiences and their knowledge, which will help you immensely.